Good morning, family. Hey guys, welcome in everybody who's joining us online from all around the world. What is up? Um, hey, I, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes when I read the Gospels, I get really jealous. Right, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because what I see here is something that we were all made for. What I see here particularly is God in the flesh, Jesus Christ choosing his community and then intentionally spending up close, personal, intimate time together for three years. They're inseparable, right? Like he teaches them, they live together, they share together, they cry together, they share the mountains together and the valleys together, they share the good times together, the bad times together, they share meals together, they laugh together, they share in the supernatural together, they lead people to faith in Jesus Christ and grow the kingdom together, like together, together, together. For three years, Jesus cracks open the kingdom lifestyle and he shares it with his friends. And it makes me jealous because it's so good and it's so pure and it's so holy and it's what we were made for. And listen, I got a great family, I love you guys, but sometimes I just wish I was here, right? Like, this is so good. And then their captain is crucified and Satan scatters the sheep. But it only lasts for just a moment or two because come on, somebody. Three days later, the stone starts rattling and it rolls away and breath enters back into Jesus' lungs and he rises victorious. He takes the keys of death, hell, and the grave and he conquers the one who's been trying to conquer you your entire life and Jesus wins. And he appears to his disciples again and, and, and that's where the book of Acts merges in. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, actually turn to the first page. Acts merges in, which is actually the book that we're spending a lot of time in this year because this is our spiritual legacy. This is the story of the early church. And sometimes in order to know where you're going, you need to know where you've been. And we need to discover what was true for them then that is still true for us today. And so this is where the story of Acts merges in, where Jesus rises from the dead, and then he appears to his disciples. And, and just right when they think that the band's getting back together again, come on, he, he Jesus jukes them all, and he's like, oh, right? He sends into heaven, but not before telling them, hey, I'm about to send you the same power that I've been operating in so you can do the same ministry that I've been doing. The Holy Spirit's coming. And just a few days later on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit falls on the disciples and they're so amped, they're so, so excited about the good news, they run out of the room and they go share it. And in that day, 3,000 people are born again and the early church is born, boom, just like that. So here's the question, now what? Now what? Now what is Acts 2.42? And so that's really where we're gonna kind of hang today as we continue on with the story. Acts 2, 42 through 47, we'll back it up one verse just so we get a little bit of context here in verse 41. Here it is. So those who received his word, who's he? He is Peter. So those who received Peter's word about Jesus, his preaching, were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now what next? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. And awe, everybody say awe. Awe. 
came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved." Anybody even just a little bit jealous? That's <laughs> what we were made for. And here's the reality, guys. The book of Acts kind of like begins like a race, like a super fast pace, right? Like, like Jesus rises from the dead. He appears to the disciples. He ascends into heaven. The Holy Spirit comes. They go out and preach. 3,000 people get born again. The church is born just in an instant. Boom, 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 boom. But here in Acts 2.42, here's what happens. Luke, Luke pauses, the author, Luke pauses from the pace of the race. And here's how I've heard Acts 2.42 talked about. It's almost like pausing at the top of the mountain after a really long, fast hike. And he just kind of takes in the scenery. And it's beautiful. So if the question is, after the early church is born, what do they do next? The answer is the same thing. The same thing that they've been doing with Jesus for three years. They received God's word together. They shared meals together. They shared prayers together. They shared their possessions together. And Jesus was at the center of it all. Come on. I mean, come on. Let's look at this. Let's read it one more time. Look at all the unity language here. Acts 2.42. Let's look at it one more time. We bolded a few words. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. Saved, unity, community, dripping off this lifestyle. Come on, like, like they all together, all any, they all there, those. And it changed the world. And it changed the world. And, and here's a way of view, viewing this. Here's what Luke does right here at this moment. He, he pauses from the um, precise narrative of the play-by-play. Here's what happened. They did this, they did that, they did. And then he moves into what I would just call a general description of the lifestyle they had. What what Luke is doing right here, he's describing their daily lives. Why does it matter? Some of you are like, bro, where are you going with this? Why does it matter? Because sometimes we need to be reminded that miracles aren't gonna break out every day. Sometimes... 3,000 people aren't going to get saved every day. And then what? So what do you do when you leave the big God moment and you go home? Do you just wait for the next big God moment? Come on, do we just say, hey, I'll be back in seven days for the next big God moment? And we just program our Christianity to seven-day cycles? oriented around Sundays. Every Sunday, we get a big God moment, and then we just don't live anything. 
Monday through Saturday? Come on, when the lights are turned off and the doors of the church are locked and you wake up Monday morning and you gotta take the trash out, it feels like you have left the book of Acts. Right? Come on, it's Thursday. You're getting ready for work. You're about to walk out the door and your toddler pukes on your shoulder. You're staring at a stack of bills a mile high that you know you can't pay. It feels like the book of Acts is in the rearview mirror. And that's why Luke wrote this. What he's doing is he's telling us the daily lives of the church when the lights are off. So on the days when dead people aren't getting out of tombs, on the days when the blind aren't seeing, on the days when the crippled aren't walking, what did the early church do? They studied God's word together. They had dinner together. They shared their possessions together. They fought for unity together. And Jesus was at the center of it all. And what Luke is doing right here, he is describing how the early Christians lived out um, Jesus's description, Jesus's declaration in John 13, 35. Many of us know it. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. If you, if you gossip, if you tweet, if you backbite, if you, come on, we can go on all day. Love one another. Acts 2.42 is how the early church fulfilled the 59 one another commandments of the Bible. Right, love one another, serve one another, care for one another, wash one another's feet, forgive one another. Come on, Here, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna say something that's about to blow your mind. It's really hard to fulfill the one another verses if you don't do it with one another. It's really hard to care for one another when you're by yourself. It's really hard to serve one another when you're by yourself watching a screen. So they, they did the craziest thing. They prioritized one another. Get this, guys. They changed their schedules. They changed their mindsets about community. Everybody say community. Because they knew that the Christian life was never meant to be a see you next Sunday sort of thing. Come on, you're, you're, you're leaving, and you just look at somebody, see you next Sunday. I probably won't. This is a big church. I'm gonna say it. it's nice. See you next Sunday. And what they knew is they had to change from me to we. Guys, one of the biggest transformations, a revolution in your life is changing from me to we. From me to we. They knew that they had to fight against the number one competitor for their heart, for their time, for their energy, for their emotions. It was not Buddhism. It was not Hinduism. It wasn't Taoism. You know what religion it was? Meism. The number one religion in the planet today, meism. It's all about me. It's about my time, my energy, my efforts, my stuff, my feelings, my possessions. If you don't like it, you can get out. Me. And so, guys, listen, we have to move from me to we. How are we gonna get there? I'm gonna give you two really, every once in a while I like to do this. I'm gonna give you two really big theological words, okay? Orthodoxy and orthopraxy. A lot of us have heard of the first one. Very few of us have heard of the second one. Orthodoxy means right belief. Orthopraxy means right practice. And so here's, here's our clue, guys. 
as followers of Jesus, we aren't just called to orthodoxy, we're also called to orthopraxy. We're not just called to have the right beliefs about Jesus, we're also supposed to have the right practices of those beliefs in the world around us. Does this make sense? We aren't just called to get in a room on a Sunday, lift up our hands to the right beliefs, and never practice those beliefs in the world around us. But somewhere along the line, this is not a you statement, this is a we, I included we. Somewhere along the line, we stumbled into the deception that it's okay to separate our belief from the practice of that belief. And guys, let this be our reminder that Christianity was never supposed to be just a belief system. It's also supposed to be a life system. And, 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 but here's the deal. Either we believe God or we don't. If God's really God, we gotta live for him like he's really God. And let this be our reminder. Let me say it really strong. Is that our, our adoption of the words of Jesus demands that we live out the ways of Jesus. We cannot separate the word of Jesus from the way of Jesus. We, if we are believers in the word of Jesus, we have to be practicers, practitioners of the ways of Jesus. We cannot do one or the other. Orthodoxy and orthopraxy are meant to be together. And therefore, what that means for us today is we have to be people who prioritize the family of God. We cannot just believe these things in a room on Sunday. We have to go live them out on Monday. Because here's our problem, and we all know this. We do not live out Acts 2.42 anymore, Right? Can we be honest? Some of you are like, no, I can't be honest. I'm in church. No, listen, I know we're supposed to. We all know we're supposed to, but we don't. We, I, me included. Like, we don't live out Acts 2.42, and because of that, everything's falling apart. In fact, I, I, I found this, that uh, if Acts 2 was written today, it may sound a little something like this. So I actually stumbled across the Today's American version, which I may have written myself. They devoted themselves to Christian influencers' 30-second TikTok videos, <laughs> and sometimes to a monthly small group, to receiving occasional communion at church, and to praying alone before they fell asleep. No one was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, because there were none. Few of the believers were together, and only a handful had anything in common. They held on to their property and possessions, but they gave at Christmas time through Salvation Army to ensure they got that one last big tax write-off of the year. <laughs> Once or twice a month, they met together at church, but it's okay. They would check out the sermon on YouTube sometimes when they missed it. They broke bread in their home solely with their own family and ate while watching TV with discontent and bored hearts. They praised God with their lips while being an enemy of all the people with their lives. And they never saw anyone get saved except when their pastor prayed at the end of the service while they were running to their car to beat traffic. <laughs> Y'all remember that in a few minutes when we say amen. <laughs> I think about it like this, that there, there have been so many weeds that have worked their way into the Christian life that have formed us into being a people that we were never meant to be. And guys, if we're really honest, we're super selfish. We're super narcissistic. We're so disconnected. We're so individualistic. And it matters. Listen, I came across this statistic this last week. When only 28% of Americans 
have a favorable view of Christians, our lifestyle matters. It matters. Because our lifestyles were meant to make people jealous, but instead our lifestyles are making people jaded. Our lifestyles are meant to call people to believe, but instead our lifestyles are making people bored. Our lifestyles are called to call people in, but instead our lifestyles are pushing people out. And, and if I can say it like this, Christianity is suffering from a terrible public relations problem right now. And it's not really because of Jesus, it's because of the lifestyles of his followers, the ones who claim his name. We aren't living out the ways of Jesus. We might believe up here the words of Jesus, but we aren't living out down here the orthopraxy, the practices, the ways of Jesus. So here's the question. How do we return back to the life that we were meant to live? It's right here, Acts 2.42. It's been here right in front of our face all along. This is what we're made for. This is what we're called to. And it's often called the four marks of the church. So what I would encourage you to do, I'm about to list them out, write them down. Write them down. Four marks of the church, here's what they are. Apostles teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. This is the life that we're called to. Okay, leave it up there. I'm just gonna walk through them real quick. What is the apostles teaching? The apostles teaching means that the early Christians were a Bible studying people. They were completely devoted to devouring the word of God. Because how do we know who God is but by the word? How do we know the story of Jesus but by the word? How do we know what life we're called to but by the word? Because we're people of the word. And listen, the devil wants you to do a whole lot of things, but there's definitely one thing the devil doesn't want you to do is to be a man or a woman of the word. Because it's in the word that we learn God's promises. It's in the word that we learn how the way to live. It's in the, the word that we find out who we are in light of the cross. So we memorize it, we proclaim it, we share it, we live it. Why? Because we're people of the word. And if we leave the word, we're nothing. The whole thing falls apart. So the apostles teaching, the fellowship, this is what's called the common life of the church. That means when the lights are turned off and, and, and the sound system's not here, what do we do Monday through Sunday? This is called the, 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 the seven days, the daily rhythms of life. See, the early church, they didn't just share the word of God with each other, they shared life with each other. They went and got groceries together. They raised their kids together. Come on, they laughed together. When was the last time you laughed with someone who loved Jesus? Come on, come on. They experienced koinonia together. It's, it, that's the power of knowing and being known. Apostles teaching fellowship, breaking of bread. The early church knew the power of a shared meal. Come on, guys, the meal's always about more than the food. Come on, you can have bad food, but still have a good meal, depending on who you're breaking bread with. And so whether they were breaking uh, bread and sharing cup at the dinner table or at the communion table, they brought Christ front and center in everything that they were doing as they broke bread together. And what they would do, especially at communion, I love this, they would look each other in the eyes and they would say, the body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. And they would share the Lord's meal together. Apostles teaching fellowship, breaking of bread and prayers. The early church was a praying people. They prayed with one another and for one another. And guys, here's what we always have to remember. The family that prays together stays together. That's what the family of God's meant to be. 
Apostles teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. These four things go together, and you can't pull one out without the whole Jenga tower starting to topple, right? Because listen, we can have the greatest community, but if it's not rooted in the word of God, come on, then we revert back to a godless worldview, right? If we pull out the common life together, then we isolate, and it's hard to maintain our faith. If we pull out the breaking of bread together, then we forget that Christ's death burial and resurrection is central to everything. If we pull out prayer, then we're left thinking that we're just earth people. But listen, the people of God are heaven and earth people. But when we keep the four together, the four marks together, apostles teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer, something supernatural starts to happen. When we actually practice what we believe, when we have good orthodoxy and good orthopraxy, here's what it actually creates. I'm going to give you one more big word, okay? It creates incarnational Christianity incarnational Christianity. In other words, we incarnate the word. We, we become, get this, we become theology with skin on. We become right belief wrapped in right practice and it becomes visible to a watching world. We are the Bible come alive to a watching world. Think about this. It says that Jesus was the word of God made flesh. Jesus was the, basically the Bible incarnate. The Bible was skin on. And we didn't really, at the end, of the end of the day, we didn't know who God was until we saw Jesus. I'm gonna make a really big statement. The people around you won't really know who Jesus is until Jesus walks among them in you. And so that's why we gather, and then that's why we scatter, because we have to go live this out, out there. It's not good enough to just talk about it in here. We have to incarnate it to a watching world out there. And when we bring it together, the apostles teaching fellowship, breaking the bread and prayer, something incredibly special happens. And we see it here in Acts 2.42. What happens in Acts 2.43 through 47? This is what happens when we live out the four marks. Here's the first thing. Oh. Everybody say, oh, one more time. Oh, oh, why oh? Listen, if, if, if you've been an orphan, if you've been an outcast, if you've been raised on, if it's gonna be, it's up to me your whole life. And then you come to faith in Christ and you're born again and you come into the family of God and you actually have a firm foundation of capital T truth that everybody's living on and then you're actually raising your kids together and you're, you're, you're laughing together and people are sharing what they have so you have enough and you're doing the same for them, you just kind of step back and are like, did I just enter heaven on earth? Yes, it's the kingdom. And you will be awestruck because that's what we're made for. We'll have awe when we start living this out. Here's another thing. We'll have unity when we start living it out. Why? Because breaking bread is always about more than the bread, right? Breaking bread is about more than the bread. Uh, so whether or not we're breaking the bread around the, the dinner table or the communion table, what we're doing is we're laughing together. We're sharing stories. We're growing in love with each other. Listen, we're learning how to forgive each other. We always say this around here. It's really hard to stay offended with somebody when you have to say, can you pass the salt? And it's way too easy in our day, in our age, in our world to be like, forget you, man. You crossed the line. I'm out. I'm out. No, but a family works it out. And it's messy. And it bleeds. And it hurts. But then God heals it and puts it together. And it's stronger than what it was before. 
but we'll never know that unless we actually become family. What else happens? The power of God, right? Why? Because we talked about this a few weeks ago. God pours his spirit out on unity, right? Like our, our being united in the name of Jesus invites the hand of God to work in supernatural ways in our midst. Do not be surprised that when you're living a united family of God life, that miracles start breaking out in your midst because that's just how the kingdom works. Power of God, provision. Provision's another thing that happens. We see that, that they shared their possessions with one another, right? So think about it like this. The primary income earner of a house does not view things as theirs. If you do, you have a dysfunctional family, right? Like if, if I came home every day and was like, hey, Summer, um, yeah, I got my paycheck and I put it in my account. And yeah, I know we've got our like little account right here. Guess what? You're about to get a divorce, I'm just telling you, clock is ticking. If I have my account and you have your account and this is my chair, this is my chair. Listen, in the family of God, there is no mine. This is no mine. It's we. This is ours. In a good family, this is ours. And listen, every once in a while, you gotta remind your kids. You didn't work for that. I'm just telling you, every once in a while. Just remind them a little bit. But at the end of the day, this is ours. Listen, this is ours because that's what a family does. Family of God, they share their possessions. And what I want you to notice right here, very important. Um, the government did not dictate it. This is not communism. This is not socialism. If anything, I, just bear with me. This is Christian capitalism because these guys had stuff. They worked for it and they chose to sell it and give it away. And then guess what? They went and worked and got more. And in fact, God gave them more than enough so they could take care of themselves and others. Why? Because that's what a Christian God kingdom family does. Nobody forces us to do it. God loves a cheerful giver. But um, uh, Paul says that in Philippians 2. He says, don't just look out for your own needs. Look out for the needs of others. And, and that's the idea, guys, is that we are born with clenched fists, but we are born again with open hands. And, and it's no longer about us four and no more. No, listen, when I'm in the family of God, I see that you have needs. So I wrap my arm around you and I help to lift you up because the thing is, one, one thing happens out there and then I'm down here and I need somebody to wrap their arm around me and pull me up. But woe to the one who falls and there's no one there to pick him up. But that's why we lock arms and we do these things together as the family of God, which then results in the next thing, Joy. Acts 2 said that they received their food with glad and sincere hearts because when you've left the desert and come into the oasis and you find family and you share life with each other and you, 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 you share your sins together and then you confess them and then you grow in God as disciples together and you share your meals together and the highs and the lows together, all of a sudden this thing starts bubbling up inside your heart. You're like, what is that? It's joy. It's joy. It's not happiness. Happiness depends on what happens, but joy comes from within. It comes from Jesus. And when we adopt the Jesus lifestyle with Jesus people, don't be surprised that you get Jesus joy, which then leads to the last thing, salvation. Salvation. Why the Lord was adding daily to their numbers those who were being saved. Guys, we all need to hear this today, that when we live out the four marks, apostles teaching fellowship, breaking in bread and prayer, it will not only revolutionize your life, it will serve as a witness to a watching, waiting, dark, dying world. Listen, uh, John Calvin, he, he, he said this. He said, it is the task of the visible church to make the invisible kingdom of God 
visible, to manifest to people what it would be like to live in a commonwealth ruled by Jesus. What he's saying is, guys, we take the invisible kingdom and we live it out in visible ways so people can see it. They can actually see what does it look like to be a Christian? What does it look like to live inside the kingdom? In other words, it's not enough for us to sit in here and talk about it. We gotta go out there and live it. We gotta incarnate it. And when we do that, our lifestyles turn evangelistic. Listen, what's the, what's the context of much of the New Testament? Rome, Roman occupation, Roman dictatorship. Rome has come and conquered everything. Okay, so here's the idea, guys. When they live out the four marks, when they live out apostles teaching fellowship, breaking and bread together in a Roman world, you know what it, you know what it does? It topples the Roman Empire through love. Who would have thunk? How? How? Because if you know anything about Roman society, it was, it was entrenched in what's called the caste system. Some of y'all came from a caste system back in your own country. And it's this idea of like, hey, they're well-established. They're, they're many times invisible lines, but you were born here, you were born there. There's no crossing between the two. Everything's power dynamics. I'm above, you're below. All serving goes up, all dictating goes down. There's no crossing the lines. You're here and you will stay there the rest of your life. You are born and you cannot move from that place. And so when people of the Roman Empire, listen, they walked by the people of God and they saw Jews serving Gentiles and they saw rich serving poor and they saw owners serving slaves and they saw men serving women. They were like, what is that and how is that possible? And they would reply, wow, I'm so glad you asked. His name's Jesus. Let me tell you about him. Because our unity preaches. Our unity preaches to a lost and a searching world. In fact, N.T. Wright says it like this. He says, when Jesus' followers behave like this, they sometimes, they sometimes find to their surprise that they have a new spring in their step. There's an attractiveness, an energy about a life in which we stop clinging on to everything we can get and start sharing it, celebrating God's generosity by being generous ourselves. And that attractiveness is one of the things that draws other people in. Let me ask you a question. Who's curious about your Christianity? Who's jealous over the life in Jesus that you have that you share with one another? Who's stopping you and being like, what is that? Is anyone? Listen, this is one of the beautiful things about being a, a part of a church like Victory, right? Like I do, we do this a lot, like look around, like I love it. There's a lot of different people inside this space, a lot of different people online, right? So here's the question. Where in your life is black and white? Throw in a Mexican or two, a few Filipinos, Cambodian, Brazilian, Australian, and a Scottish coming together. Come on, where, where are garbage collectors and pilots and doctors and stay-at-home moms coming together? Where are Republicans and Democrats and Republicrats coming together as the family of God, 
Where's that happening inside your life? Because people should regularly be like, I, listen, I'm your neighbor, and I saw all these people coming over to your house. Like, what is that? I'm so glad you asked. His name's Jesus. Let me tell you about him. So here's the question, guys. What needs to change to get there? I don't know. If you're waiting for an answer, I don't know. Because I don't know your life. Maybe start here. Which one of the four marks is the weakest in your life? Living, living a life that's founded on the word of God? Living Monday through Sunday with the family of God? Sharing meals and stories and laughter together? Or praying with and for one another? Which one of those is weakest in your life? And start there. Because here's the tricky thing. Some of you would say, well, my strategy for that is to come on Sunday. Great starting place, bad ending place. Well, you're sort of like, well, we do all those things. Yeah, we do all those things about three inches deep, right? Yeah, we can do some apostles teaching. We're doing it right now. We can do that. Can, can we do the fellowship? Ah, we got a cafe. Hang out for a few minutes. Can we, can we do breaking bread? Yeah, we do like communion like once a month. Can we pray? Sure, we do that Saturday mornings over here. Every Saturday morning, 8 a.m., right over there. We do that right over there in the chapel every single Saturday morning. But can we go deep in those areas? No, we can't do that. There's too many people here. So what do we need to do? Listen, this is why central to our strategy of the four marks of apostles teaching, fellowship, breaking and bread and prayer is small groups. It's why we have house churches. It's how we begin living these things out there. What's your strategy for living this out there when the lights are off and 3,000 people aren't getting saved? How do you live this out there? What's your strategy? If you have a strategy beyond small groups, that's fantastic. Some of you would be like, I already have community. Is it rooted in the word of God? No, okay, well, that's a bad idea. Because show me your friends and I'll show you your future. All you guys are doing, you're hanging out, you say, it's my community, you hang out, you degrade women, you tell dirty jokes. What are you doing? There's no prayer. There's no, listen, you might have some fellowship. What's it grounded in? You're deceiving yourself. And then you're wondering, why am I not growing in my discipleship? How do I know? Because you're talking to me at the door. I'm talking to people all, all weekend long. They're like, I just don't understand why I'm not growing in God. First question, are you, do you have discipleship? I mean, do you have community in your life? No, I don't really have community. Well, I'd be shocked if you did have a good relationship with God without community. Because this is what we're made for. And so we say in a big church, we need small groups. Why do we need small groups? Because it's totally possible, especially in this, in this location right here, it's totally possible that you're sitting next to somebody right now that you live an hour away from. Totally possible, totally possible. Why? Because we drive, nobody lives right here. We all drive in to this location, right? And so you're like, hey, hey let's hang out this week. And you're like, bro, you live in Douglasville. <laughs> I'm so far away from you. Like, <laughs> it would take three hours just to get there. What are you talking about? And that's why you need to be in a small group in Douglasville or in Lawrenceville or in Johns Creek or wherever it is. You need to be in a small group in your own backyard with people in your own community so you can get groceries together and raise your kids together and laugh together and grab dinner together and live out faith together. And you can care for each other. But listen, it's really hard to provide for somebody when you don't even know they have needs. And some of you come in, we come in and we're like, nobody's taking care of me. Who knows you? Who knows you? 
And how do you know if somebody has an abundance? You could have an abundance. You're like, well, I, just, I guess I just should spend it all on me. No, you never press past comfortability and meism to be known. Do you even know anybody who has any need? Because there's people all over this church who do. And that's why we're together. We're called to be together. Not just to sit in seats together, but to live this thing out together. And so you need to be in a small group. And some of you are like, there's not a small group in my area. Guess what? Start one. Start one. We're out of online small groups. You can be in a community as well. So I guess we need more leaders. Guess what, parents? Your youth need community too. That's why you need to get them to youth. We're a big church with a small youth group right now. Why? Oh, well, they don't want to come. So? (laughs) When did that become a thing? When did your 15-year-old become the leader of the house? No, you're going. I don't want to go. Okay, that's awesome. All right, pick you up at night, you know, or whatever time. You know. Why? Because I trust that the word of God never returns void and the seeds are going to be planted. And one day, it's going to sprout up and bear a harvest. And every once in a while, we have rally nights where everybody comes in. You need to get your kid to rally night. There's one tonight. Get them there. Get them there. I don't care if they don't want to go. Get them there and we'll lead them. We'll love them. Okay, we'll love them. Because you can give your kid, listen, you can almost give your kid all the theology they need, but you cannot give your kid all the community they need. And they need a group to call home to. Beyond TikTok. And FaceTime with that girl or that guy. You need to bring him in. Something's got to give. And just so you know that I have not arrived. Um, a while back, it was in the fall, um, somebody I know gave me a prophetic word. And some of you are instantly skeptical. Don't worry, I'm more skeptical. Uh, <laughs> I am the chief of skeptics when it comes to prophetic stuff. Um, but this guy's legit. Like, um, uh, he's proven himself numerous times. And so when he speaks, I listen. And uh, he said, that he, he told me a story. I, he actually said that the Lord brought it to his mind. And he pointed me to 2 Samuel 21. You can go there later. 2 Samuel 21. And it's in the scene that King David is on the battlefield. He's a little bit more advanced in, in years. And it actually says that David was fighting. And in the midst of fighting, he got exhausted. And at his moment of exhaustion, it, it says that this giant of a man, this Philistine giant named Ishbi Benab. Sorry if that's your name. Uh, <laughs> I would encourage you not to name your kid Ishbi Benab. Um, in the David's moment, King David's moment of exhaustion, this giant Ishbi Benab comes in with his giant spear and he's about to kill King David. I love it how the scripture says he's about to snuff out the light of Israel. And in that moment, one of David's mighty men, Abishai, he draws his sword, he jumps in the middle, and here's what it actually says. He says that he came to David's rescue, he struck the Philistine down and killed him. And my friend said, Johnson, you're exhausted. And there are two common factors of every single leader who does something stupid. Exhaustion, and isolation. And that probably goes for all of us. When you're exhausted and you're isolated, you're probably gonna do something stupid. Because there's a difference in isolation and solitude. Solitude is intentionally 
retracting so you can spend time with Jesus. Isolation is when you curve off from the herd. And the lion never attacks the pack. The lion attacks the loner. And he says, Johnson, you have exhaustion, you have isolation. And the enemy's trying to isolate you. He's trying to get you friendless. He's trying to get you alone so he can take you out. And you need mighty men around you. You need Abishai's around you who are willing to pull out their sword, jump in front of a giant and fight him back in the name of the Lord on your behalf. So just so you know, that was in the fall. It's not today. But I am just now like a groundhog, like getting my head above. I feel like I'm back in the black in this area. But I say, I say this, I, I say this for, for a reason. Who do you have in your life who's willing to pull out a sword and jump in front of the giant that's about to murder you and fight them back in the name of Jesus on your behalf? If you don't have that person, you're in trouble. And let's put it on the table, guys. Let's, let's be super real. We're about to close. Let's be super real. It's really hard to make friends as adults. Because you got your life, they got their life, you got your schedules, I got my work thing, I got the kid thing, I got my calendar, my stuff, my comfort, I got my TV shows I like to binge. (laughs) But when the lion comes and the giant attacks, and you're exhausted, Who's gonna jump in front of that sword for you? And I don't know about you, but that's the type of community I wanna belong to. And that's the type of community I wanna help to build. Anybody else? A community that's unshakably built on the word of God. A community that sincerely lives out the ways of Jesus Monday through Sunday. A community that breaks bread together, confesses sin to each other, washes one another's feet, serves one another, cares for one another, shares their possessions with one another, and boldly lets their light shine. Because this world is aching and groaning for the sons and daughters of the living God to be revealed. We need to live it out together. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.